Good morning, Lighthouse family, all you beautiful faces here and at home, joining us online. Psalm says, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. We're going to sing about it. Yeah. <laughs> Generation to generation, Lord, you are good and your mercy is. 
service speak through our pastor this day as we give everything to you god because you are good in jesus name we pray amen. amen amen all right all right guys you can go ahead and be seated and i know that i am up here way earlier than you anticipated seeing me there's a reason for that um I will confess to you that these last couple of weeks have surprised me because I was fully planning on uh, spending January to begin talking about what does it mean to be a people who worship, but I've been really kind of surprised by the way that these messages have begun to unpack that already for us. The last couple of weeks on, on looking at what is worship. Worship is reorienting ourselves around God, not simply the songs we sing, although this is a part of it. And so we've been rethinking what it looks like to live as worshipers, and that's also caused me, forced me, to begin to rethink the way that we even order our worship, because obviously we worship every moment of every day outside of here and inside of here, but I wanted to just kind of take a moment and acknowledge the fact that the way in which we order this time shapes what we come here uh, to expect. And I, when we start with 15 to 20 minutes of, of songs up front, what that communicates is we are singing these songs to prepare our hearts for whatever the message is going to be. And then we might have some time to respond at the end, but for the most part, it is communicated to you that the message is the most important part of our time together. And I simply want to push back against that because I have come to the realization a long time ago that information never leads to transformation. We'd like to think it is. And the reality is I can unpack this scripture, and I'm speaking to people who have been studying God's word for far longer than I have. And it might be helpful information, but we're not here just to get information. My hope is that we are here to have an encounter with the living God. That you come expectant, and expectant of two things. Expectant, one, that you will see people that you can do life with, that are pulling in the same direction, that you can be spurred on by. That's one of the reasons why it's so imperative that we gather together, even though I'm so glad that we can be with those who aren't able to be here in person. And if you're at home, I am so glad you're with us. I look forward to the day I get to see you face to face, but... Um, it's important that we, I, I come expectant for, I don't know the interactions I'm going to have, but I'm looking forward to it. But more importantly, I come expectant that I'm going to have an encounter with God. I don't want to simply give you information about God. I want to get, create space for you to have an encounter with God. It, it, it was thinking this morning about how it's similar to, like, it's the difference between taking my wife out on a date and simply reading her resume, Right? Both of them help inform my relationship, but one of them it builds the relationship. The other one just gives me information. I would like to create space in this time for you to come face-to-face -face with God toward that end. Today, we're going to try something a little different. I'm not saying this is going to be all the time, but we're going to try this today. 
And that is we're going to dive into our message now in order to prepare our hearts for a time of response where I hope you can have some conversation with God, that you can have an encounter with him. There will be ways that you can respond at the end. Communion will be one of them, obviously, since it's up here, but that's not going to be the only way, and it's not going to be the way that we normally do it. I'll explain that in a little bit. With that, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. While you're turning there, I want to ask a philosophical question. If you knew that you only had a few hours left to live, how would you invest that time? What would you do with it? Who would you spend it with? And how would you spend it? I was thinking about this question, um, and I realized I would almost certainly make sure that I spent it with my wife and my, my sons, right? And, and I don't know exactly what that time would look like. I know that there would probably be some tears, but I know that I would look my sons in their eyes and tell them how deeply I love them, how, how proud of them I am. And then I would challenge them and say, listen, your mom, your grandma, they need you to step up now. They need you to, to help support them because I'm not going to be here to do that. That's what I think that time would look like for me. But here's the beautiful thing is I don't need to question how God would invest the time if he had it because we have between John chapter 13 and John chapter 17, we are shown how, God, or how Jesus invested that time because he knew that his time was short. He knew that he was shortly going to go to the cross and give his life for his disciples and for all of us. And so, in the few hours remaining, he decided to invest that time in them. And he didn't start with simply words. He started by modeling for them the kind of posture that he had been taking throughout his public ministry, but the kind of leadership posture he was calling them to emulate. So with that lead-in, let's go ahead and begin reading in John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival... Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or as some of your translations might put it, he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Like, just wash all of me. Jesus answered, I'm sure with a smile on his face, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked them. I mean, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. Well, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, or amen, amen, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, I know that foot washing is not something that we practice as a culture, right? When you get around other people, your first impulse is not to take your shoes off. And if you did take your shoes off, you certainly are not wanting nor allowing anybody to touch your feet, right? It's one of those things... My wife doesn't even like to touch my feet, right? Like, it's just not something that we normally do in our culture. But in in the Middle Eastern culture, this was about as normal as when you show up at someone's house for a party, them taking your coat from your shoulders. It was an act of hospitality. And, And rightfully so, because they didn't have cars in that time. They didn't really wear a lot of closed toed shoes. They wore sandals and they walked along dusty roads where animals did their business. So needless to say, when they show at somebody's house, their feet are filthy. And so one of the ways that a a good host would care for and honor his guests is by having their feet washed. But this, this isn't something that the host himself or herself would ever do. Because foot washing was kind of a disgusting thing. And... It was, I mean, I I want you to think for a moment of the the task at your house that you don't ever want to do. What is the one task that is just kind of gross? Maybe it's picking up the dog poo in the backyard, or it's plunging the toilet when it backs up, or it's scrubbing the floors in the bathroom, or whatever it happens to be. Foot washing, was, and Ethan's going, well, those are all of the tasks I have to do at home. (laughs) It's because I think so highly of you, bud. Um... This foot washing was beneath all of those because this was something that was left for the lowest of the low servant in the home. That whoever was kind of on the bottom of the totem pole, that was the person who was given the task of washing the guest's feet when they arrived. And so when Jesus gets up and he puts the towel around himself, kneels down and begins to wash his disciples' feet, it's scandalous and it's uncomfortable And that's the point. And so let's go ahead and dive back into this passage. And we're going to just slowly walk through it and pull it apart because there's some beautiful, helpful things that will give us handles for our time of response this morning. So it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world. He knew that his time with them was short and that he was going to go to the Father. So having already loved these guys, and given them his life, and spent time with them, and invested in them, and modeled for them, he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, if there is one word in that last verse that's really important for us to notice, it's the very first word of verse 4, so. Because what so helps us to recognize is that verse 4, we can't understand the actions of verse 4 without understanding what verse 3 says. Verse 3 informs verse 4. 
Does that make sense? So let's, let's go back and look at what verse 3 says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What does that mean? It means that Jesus knew who he was, he knew what he was about, he did not need any of those guys to tell him, hey Jesus, you're doing a good job, or Jesus, we approve of you. He knew where his approval came from. I mean, this, this is the same posture and attitude that we see in Philippians chapter 2, which for me has become one of the most important passages in all of scripture over this last couple of years. Because it shows that Jesus knew who he was, he knew that he was God in human flesh, but he didn't use that, that identity as something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very posture of a servant. Jesus knew who he was, so because of that, he takes the posture of a servant. And I gotta say that this is the antithesis of how our world tends to work. This is, because as I look around, what I see is there are a whole bunch of people who are drowning in insecurity. A whole bunch of people who do not feel confident in who they are, don't know what they're about, and so they go to the world to try to prove to the world that they are worthwhile, that they are worthy. Um, the analogy I often use, and I've used this before, so it might be familiar, is when we are drowning in insecurity, it's almost like throwing toddlers into the deep end, right? When a toddler who's just learning how to swim is thrown in the deep end and they can't touch the bottom, they may be able to tread water for a little bit, but eventually they get to the point where they're terrified because they're beginning to, to run out of energy and they're afraid their head is going to slip under the water. And in that moment, they are willing to do anything it takes to stay above the water. And so they will reach and grasp for anything, whether it's a flotation device or the edge of the pool or even another swimmer. And when they grab hold of that, they will push that person down in order to be able to get their head up just a little bit higher. As a Newport Beach lifeguard, one of the first things they taught us about rescuing somebody is you don't ever approach somebody who feels like they're drowning with your body. You don't put your hand out because what they're going to do is they're going to latch onto you and they're going to push you down. And lifeguards have literally been drowned by people in their fear that they're drowning. And so we were taught always lead with your buoy because the buoy doesn't need to breathe. You do. But in the same way in our society as we feel insecure in ourselves, when we look around and we are told constantly from the advertising to the social media feed that only presents people's best sides, when we are constantly compared to other things, we cannot help but compare ourselves and we typically come away wanting. We typically feel like we are not enough and so what do we do? Not only do we strive and not only do we join in with that by only posting the good stuff and the celebratory stuff of our lives, but we begin to pick and poke holes at other people when we feel like they're, you know, oh, they're just showing off. They're traveling again, my gosh, how many, time, how many trips do they need to do in a year, right? Or, or, or they're, they're so superficial, or oh, they've obviously had some work done, or whatever it takes to make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. We are willing, as a society, to push others down in order to pick ourselves up a little bit. But it's such the different attitude with Jesus. Because Jesus 
doesn't need to push anybody else down in order to feel secure in his identity. He knows who he is. He knows who has sent him. He knows where he's going. And so to use our analogy of toddlers drowning in the deep end, Jesus is like the adult who's got his feet firmly planted on the bottom of the pool. He's not afraid of drowning. And because of that, he doesn't have to push anybody else down. Instead, he can reach out from his position of security and begin to lift people up, which was the point that Paul was making in Philippians 2, and it's the point here. Because Jesus knew who he was, he knew where he was from, he knew where he was going, and he knew what he was about. So, he got up, he put the towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. It was not a challenge in his perspective, it was not a challenge to his identity or his position of, of authority or honor. It didn't diminish him in any way to take the posture of a servant. And so he was willing to take the posture of a servant. So after he had poured water into the basin, this is verse 5, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This was Jesus' act of loving his disciples, kind of modeling for them a servant posture that he has really exhibited throughout his life, throughout his ministry. But he is hammering this home with them. He understood it. He knew it didn't diminish him. He knew it wasn't a dishonor to him. It was more a realignment of his understanding of what it meant to lead. But not everybody was comfortable with it. In fact, my guess is just about every single one of his disciples was incredibly uncomfortable with this act of him washing their feet. But thankfully, one of them was willing to constantly, he was always the one who was willing to say whatever was on his heart, even if it was a little bit off color, even if it ended up him sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter was the guy you never had to wonder where he was coming from. And Peter is the one who speaks up and kind of pushes back against Jesus. Verse 6, when he came to Simon Peter, who was with him, uh, he said to him, Lord, are you really going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. This will make sense to you later. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. In other words, I'm the one who should be washing your feet, Jesus. From a hierarchy standpoint, I'm beneath you. So it should be my job. If anybody at this table is going to wash feet, I should be washing your feet. But Jesus' response to him, and I understand Peter's heart there. I think that that is our natural response, is when somebody is, from a hierarchy standpoint, above us, our knee-jerk response is to say, you're more important than me. And I can't tell you guys how often I will hear one of you utter words, hey, Pastor Eric, can we get together? I know you're super busy, and, and your time's more important than mine. And my first thought is, no, it's not. I didn't go into ministry because I think that I'm somehow superior to anybody. I love to be available. Granted, life is crazy, and I may not always be as available as I want to, but my time is never more important. But that just shows you that we have this hierarchical mindset that tends to inhibit relationship. And Jesus looks at Peter in this moment when he's saying, no, Jesus, this is not appropriate. I'm the one who should be washing your feet, not the other way around. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, unless you let me wash you, then you have no part with me. What do you mean, Jesus? You mean to suggest that if, you, if I don't allow you to wash my feet, 
I can't have a relationship with you? Then if I don't let you wash my feet, I can't be your disciple? If I don't let you wash my feet, then I can't be used by you to continue what you're doing? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that is what he's saying to Peter. If you do not let me serve you, then you not, are not following me. And, and, and our relationship is not grounded in the right way. And I got to tell you guys, this challenge is a mindset I think many of us carry into our relationship with Jesus. I think many of us carry into our relationship with Jesus this mindset that I know how much I've screwed up. And so I've got to clean myself up. I've got to do good stuff to, to kind of offset all of the bad stuff I've done so that I will be worthy of God's love. And what Jesus is saying is that approach is dead on arrival. That may be the way that the world works. That may be how other relationships work. That will not fly in the kingdom of God. Because we can never do enough to clean ourselves up. It's just a futile effort. And the entire relationship with God is founded upon grace, not upon deservedness. We can't do enough things to be loved. Rather, we are loved, and we get to do those things as a response to that, not as a prerequisite. This making sense. So Jesus literally, to Peter and to us, says, unless you allow me to wash you. Metaphorically here, washing his feet, but it really points more to what's going to happen less than 24 hours later when he would drag his cross through the middle of Jerusalem, hang on it on Golgotha, and bleed out for us. He was doing so as a way of washing and cleansing everyone so that we could actually be restored back into the relationship that God created us to have with him. Unless you allow me to wash you, you don't have a part with me. And then Peter, God bless him, goes the opposite direction. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, this is verse 9, don't, don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Like, here, wash all of me then. I want a part with you. And, and I, I just see Jesus laughing as he responds to Peter. But those who've had a bath only need to wash their feet. The whole body is clean. Like, here, don't press the metaphor to the point of absurdity, all right, bud? Let me wash your feet. You're already clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. You know, I have read this passage, and I have taught this passage a lot of times. But for whatever reason, this is the first time I recognized that Jesus went around and washed every single one of his disciples' feet, including Judas, including the guy whose heart was already dead set against Jesus, including the guy who was about to sell him out. And this gives me a window into the incredible, ridiculous, selfless love of God that he is willing to suffer. He is willing to pursue even those who are resistant, that he is willing to serve even those who will ultimately reject him and stand against him. That flies in the face of how I think a lot of us respond because we have a tendency to want to serve those who we know love us and who are for us and are with us. But when somebody is resistant, when somebody <laughs> speaks ill about us, 
when somebody disrespects us, it is so much harder to serve. We want to lash out. We want to respond in kind as opposed to responding in love. That's just human nature. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, not so with you. And he models loving even those who stand against him. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them, and I can guarantee you that they did not. They were still a little bit confused by the whole thing. Jesus, why did you just do that? That doesn't feel appropriate. Verse 13, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. From a worldly standpoint, I have a position of authority over you. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet, because I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, that just, that's where he says, amen, amen. He's like pressing this point. Get this. Don't miss this. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And I have, I have given you an example of the way you should live. So now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, I don't know about you, but I have been very disturbed over the last several years by the number of high-level, visible leaders in politics and in entertainment and even in the church, people who are respected and revered and feared and all of those kind of things, who have been exposed for being abusive in the use of their position, right? It's almost like every month we have a new high-level leader who has been shown to have taken advantage of people underneath him or underneath her in order to get what they wanted at the expense of the person underneath them. And it's almost like this mindset, and this is the mindset that we are kind of taught in the world, That leadership is like a ladder, and everybody starts at the bottom, and your goal is to climb that ladder as quickly and efficiently as you can, and and, and sometimes it's through hard work, but oftentimes it's through dumb luck, and sometimes, often, it's through who you know and how they can help you get a little further up, and the mindset goes, the higher you go, the more people there are beneath you to do your bidding, to serve you, to take care of your needs. But Jesus flips that paradigm on its face and says, you guys have misunderstood the heart of this. Peter had that mindset, Jesus, you're here and I'm here. So it's inappropriate for you to to wash my feet. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you've misunderstood what leadership truly is. Flip that ladder over and now you'll begin to understand how in the kingdom of God, where God's will is done, where God's values are carried out, the higher that ladder you climb, the further down you climb, and the more people there are for you to serve. Leadership does not mean you get your way. Leadership means that you lead by example. You lead by serving, by sacrificing, by dying to yourself, by putting another's needs ahead of your own. That is how you lead. And it tends to fly in the face of of our natural knee-jerk response. And 
the way that he chose to show them in this moment was washing their feet. But this wasn't the first time and it wouldn't be the last time that he would model this. I mean, throughout his ministry, he was constantly moving towards people who were on the periphery, people who society said were the untouchables, and he would move towards them and touch them and care for their needs, even when they couldn't give him anything in return. He was the kind of guy who would speak up for those who in that society had no voice, even though it would get him in trouble with the leadership, because it was the right thing to do. And, and while he models washing feet here, Less than 24 hours later, he would model this in a much grander way when he would drag his cross through the, the streets of Jerusalem and he would die in order to cleanse us. Not just, not just his disciples, not just the in crowd, but every man, woman, and child, every image bearer throughout history, he was dying for them, even those who would ultimately reject that gift. Died for them as well. And I know that washing feet would have been kind of ridiculous to them. It would have been a powerful example to them. But it's lost some of its power to shock us because we know the story so well and because we don't really practice it. So, let me give you another illustration of what servant leadership looks like. And this is one that I experienced personally when I was my son Ethan's age. I was 13, so this was 30 years ago. But I still remember it vividly. My, my dad was the kind of guy who liked to live his retirement on the installment plan. So like every year, he would take us on a pretty lengthy road trip, spend time with the family, get to kind of see a different part of the country. It's probably where I got that kind of level of desire to, to go and have experiences as opposed to just go and uh, sit somewhere comfortable. So, I know Kathy's like, well, I'd really like to go somewhere comfortable every once in a while, please. So, in this particular instance, he took us up to Alaska, and on, in, out of Juneau, he chartered uh, like a 40-foot boat, and he, was, he wore all the hats. I mean, he was the navigator, he was the captain that drove the boat, he was the guy who would fix the boat when something broke, I'm glad, because otherwise we probably wouldn't have gotten back to port, and all that kind of stuff, and we got to, over the course of that week, see things that I'd never seen before, bald eagles fishing right in front of us, bears and their cubs fishing out of the streams, um, we got to see ice calving off of glaciers, it was, it was a really, really memorable week, but the moment that I remember most vividly wasn't the beauty that I saw, it was actually something that we pr probably would consider a little bit disgusting. Because we had eight people stuffed onto a little boat for one week, and there was one bathroom on the entire boat. It's called a head on a boat. And, and it, for those of you who haven't spent much time on boats, they have to get creative with the way that they fit everything because there's only a limited amount of space. So this particular boat, it, was only, it wasn't a bathroom even. It was more like a closet, almost like you were walking into the shower. But in the shower, on one side was the sink, and on the other corner was the toilet, and then there's the shower, and it's all kind of one enclosed little closet. And I had the inauspicious luck to be the guy who clogged the toilet. Thirteen years old. Did my best to unclog it. Didn't work. And so when you find yourself at that age, kind of up against something you can't figure out, I did what any kid would do. I, I called him the big guns, and in this case, it was my dad. Dad! Somebody clogged the toilet! 
He came in to take a look, and I, like, exited stage left. Went out on the bow, got some fresh air. About 10 minutes later, I'm like, I'm hungry. I want to see what we have to eat. So I kind of start moseying back through the cabin. As I'm going, I look down, and I have, like, a straight shot into the bathroom. And there is my dad, the sleeves rolled up and his pant legs rolled up with the plunger in hand going at it. And this thing is good and truly clogged because water is literally, like sewage water is literally spilling over the sides and it's filling up this little container. And I'm sorry for how gross this is, but I just want you to know, like he was up to his ankles in my crap. And he's going to town and I'm watching him for about three or four seconds and all of a sudden he stops and he looks up and he sees me and he smiles and then he goes back to his task without complaint. And if there was anybody on that boat who had the right to tap out and say, uh-uh, not me, it would be him. I mean, he was doing everything else, and he would paid for us to be there. But this is my father modeling servant leadership that says, even though I may not be responsible for this, I am willing to enter into this. I'm willing to enter into the messiness. I am willing to serve you. It is not beneath me. Because let's be honest, as Jesus is kind of suggesting to us, if, le if service is beneath us, then leadership is beyond us. We completely and utterly miss the point of what leadership is. Leadership is not, I get my way. Leadership is, how can I serve you? It's not just thinking about our own self. It's thinking about those that God has placed under us, but really placed their responsibility in our hands. And I will reiterate, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And in a way, when we look at this, because we've been talking about worship over the last several weeks, Service is an act of worship. When we serve other people, we are in effect ordering our lives around a God who has shown himself to serve others. And so our act of service is an act of worship. So there you go. We've, we've kind of walked through this passage. And as I said, the reason I wanted to get into it early, for those of you who showed up late, I'm, I know you may have missed the beginning of the message. That's because I wanted to take the message this morning and let it set up a time of response where we get to respond in a lot of different ways. Now, obviously, we're going to have the, 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 the team come back up and lead us in some songs. And you may, over the next 20 minutes, want to join in singing those songs because they reflect and resonate with your heart. That's one of the ways we can respond. But another way we can respond flows directly out of Jesus' words to Peter. When Peter said, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus said, unless you let me wash you, you have no part with me. Because there are some of us who are in here today that have been trying desperately to scrub ourselves clean so that we can be worthy. You don't even feel like you belong in this place because if anybody knew the kind of stuff you'd done and you, you were kind of reeking of, they'd, they, they, we'd ask you to leave. That's probably the mindset that the enemy has been whispering in your ears. And Jesus' reminder to each of us is that our relationship with him is not determined by our effort is not determined by how good we are and how much good we've done to offset the mistakes we've made. Our relationship with Jesus is based on grace and grace alone. He died for us 
And so the only way to begin living for him is first to accept that gift of grace and allow him to cleanse us through faith. For those of you who have never done that, it begins by simply saying, okay, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that I can't clean myself up. I need you to come into my life. I choose to follow you as the Lord of my life. I want to become more like you. I, know, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing to try. Thank you for dying for me. It's that simple. And if you've never, if you've never come to that point of accepting the gift of grace, would you start there this morning? If you don't know how to do that, there's nothing magical about it. There's no incantation. But I know that Pastor Jeff or myself or, or, or any of us that have kind of been on this journey for any length of time would be honored to, to pray with you through that. But for those of us who have prayed that prayer and perhaps sometimes forget about it, because it can be really easy to forget that the foundation of our relationship with God is grace, not effort, then our response this morning is simply to take communion. And I know that a couple weeks ago, we took communion all together. That's not what we're going to do today. I'm not going to ask all of us to come and take the elements. Rather, I simply want to provide these for you if this morning, during this lengthy time of response, you feel so inclined to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and to remember that your relationship with him, your identity is founded upon grace, not effort. Then the communion elements are here and they're in the back. And I know that we're not fully out of this weird season with COVID and stuff. So we're going to have people serving it. I know that that's kind of like, Ugh, I don't like it. But it's a, a way of honoring the fact that we just, we want to be wise in the way we do this. So there will be somebody serving those elements. You can come and grab them. And then you can go find a place around the room or you can go back to your seats and you can take them together as a family. That's what I hope you'll do if you choose to respond in this way. But then there's another obvious response that I want to simply make available to you. And that is that Jesus modeled for his disciples a servant leadership when he, as their teacher, took the posture of a servant and washed their feet. And guys, this can, you, can, you serve one another in lots of different ways. You serve one another when you go, what, what do they need? And you move towards them. Or when they're kind of spinning out of control and you just come up and you give them a hug, that's an act of service. Especially when they're kind of like, Brian, like prickly like a porcupine and you're willing to, to hug the porcupine, that is an act of service. When you forgive, that's, that is an act of service. That is an act of love. But this morning, just to kind of drive this home, I want to give you an opportunity to respond if you feel so inclined by washing someone's feet. We have a couple of chairs out here with basins of water. There, there's a couple out here. There's three in the back. If the Holy Spirit during any part of this time impresses on your heart somebody that you want to serve, then I would encourage you to go up and ask them if you might be able to wash their feet. And that might be hard for you, but let me speak to those of you who might have somebody ask you. It will probably be even more difficult for you to accept it because we're really good at serving other people. A lot of us are really bad at receiving it. It can feel very vulnerable. It can feel like I'm not deserving of it. May I simply remind you that saying yes is a way that you can honor that person, but also it's an act of worship. 
And so I know that this might be uncomfortable. I know that we're not a, a church that typically responds well, and that's why we're trying this. It's just, let's just try something different, because <laughs> if we don't change things up, then we're just going to see the same results over and over again. So let's try something different. So you've got the, you've got the water there. You can do one of two ways. You can dip their feet in, kind of wipe them off, and then we've got different towels that you'll be able to use. We've got some shop towels, so everybody can have their own fresh towel. Or you can dip the towel in the water and you can wash the feet that way. However you so feel so inclined, that's fine. There's not a right way or a wrong way of doing it. This has more to do with your heart. And everything we're doing, we are doing as an act of worship to God. So Father God, I invite you into this time. Holy Spirit, we long to be shaped into the image of Jesus. We want to be better reflections of him. And he's modeled for us today what it looks like to do that. That we would get down off of our high horses and we would take the posture of a servant as, as an act of worship to you, as an act of loving others around us, but from the foundation of knowing that we are already loved. We are already accepted. That serving does not diminish us. It makes us actually more a reflection of your heart, which is what we were created to do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to guide us in this time. May you be honored in every aspect of this response time. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Let's respond together.
Cause I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe, feel your heart beat. Cause this love is so deep, it's more than I can stand.
turned it off right as I was walking out. That's always how it rolls. Anyway, um, guys, thank you for entering into this time. Um, here's the beautiful thing as I, as I sit in this. And Hefe, don't go anywhere. I need you in a second. Uh, as we sit in this, know that this isn't where our response ends. This is where it begins. This is where we've we had a little bit of a lecture. We just got a little bit of a lab. And now you get to go be the church. Don't stop serving because this service is over. You are the church, and this building is just where the catalyst got mixed up. Now go be the church. Serve one another. It's not just washing feet. It's in everything and anything and everything that you do. Do it as an act of worship. Now, some of you heard that Pastor Jeff had kind of uh, an exciting week, and I want to give him an opportunity to share his God story so that all of you know what's up. So I'm going to let him share it. He's going to close us out. You guys like miracles? Yeah. Real ones? Yes. So you guys know my oldest daughter who lost our firstborn daughter last year. She's uh, pregnant. She's doing six weeks with her second son, Walker. She has a five-year-old, my grandson, Warren, who's ready to go to preschool. And so this weekend, Thursday, she needed some more time to get his paperwork ready for school. So she moved her 12 o'clock appointment. She has a... uh, her placenta's in front, so she has to see the doctor more regularly because of that. So she moved her, tw- I'm, g- I'm going to cry for sure, she moved her 12 o'clock to 8 o'clock, just because she needs time. And she wasn't feeling well, and she went in, and it's been difficult because with the frontal placenta, you don't have as much contact with the baby. And since she's already lost a baby, she's hypersensitive to not having that contact. So she went in there, and the doctor said, something's wrong. And so we're going to run you over to uh, radiograph or MRI or something. We need to get a picture of what's going on. It just doesn't seem like something's off kilter. And they did. And it seemed like the placenta had ruptured. And so they put her in a wheelchair, and they're wheeling her over as soon as the uh, examination was done to have an emergency cesarean. And as they're wheeling her, her placenta bursts. (laughs) And uh, if she wouldn't have been in that wheelchair... If she wouldn't have been in that hospital when she woke up, they had delivered Walker six weeks early. And obviously, he'd taken in some blood, and he was, he's alive, and he's doing well. And he's in ICU down in San Diego, and he's four pounds, four ounces. And he, he's going to start his life in the hospital. And he's got a breathing tube and a little feeding tube, and I just can't help but think about Pastor Eric talking about Grayson being born early and... I don't know what happened to you guys this week. My week wasn't the best week as it is, but I mean, just getting your priorities straight, right? My daughter probably would have passed, and my grandson would have probably passed if it wasn't for just four hours. Four simple hours is all that appointment was. If it's not a God thing, it's a nothing. And if there's one thing I love about Pastor Eric is that he's so bold. He's willing to do things that don't make any sense to an old-timer like this guy, right? I've been doing church for a long time, and we needed that, church. We need to wash our feet. We need to get clean. We need to reprioritize what's really important because time is limited, and a lot of us could be a lot closer to going than staying, and there's work to be done, really important work to be done, and you guys got to do it. It can't just be us. We've got our own work we got to do. I got... I had to go watch my grandchildren for two days. My wife's still down there. I, I need detoxing now. I haven't, watched, I haven't watched grandchildren for two days in a long time, you know. Papa's tired. So I love you guys, but I just wanted you to know before the doors even open this morning, before the church even began, 
I had two sets of families, and they know who they are, two sets of families on the sidewalk out there praying about different situations. It's going on for all of us right now. Mm-hmm. We're all facing different situations. Be brave. Be strong. Be yeah. courageous. Good. Take chances, even when it makes no sense, because you got to show up to see what God's going to do. He's doing something every day. He's never stopped doing it. He will continue to do it. And I just want you guys to be part of it. This is definitely a place where you can be part of it. And I'm so grateful for Pastor Eric and just you guys showing up today and taking a chance. And for all you that took that opportunity to wash feet, to sing, to pray, go with us on the journey. We're going somewhere. God's going to take us somewhere. But keep it simple, right? The time is limited. There's work to do. Lives that need to be saved. And your prayers are being answered. Someone else came up to me during communion and said, Merv did. Pastor Jeff, I'm praying for you. I don't know what's going on. I said, you weren't praying for me, man. You were praying for my grandson. and He needed it. So keep praying for us. We need it every day. Yep. Thanks, E. Hey, and um, I'll just say this in closing. Guys, we're not done responding. We're just beginning to respond. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to go and, and use these, these places to wash feet and you feel so inclined, it, there's an opportunity. We got a whole team here who still have their shoes on, right? So, but you are the church. And now we get to go respond in ways that change our spheres of influence. You wanna, if you have prayer requests, giving, you can give it in the back. If you have prayer requests and you're at home, just shoot, shoot them to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. But thank you for being on this adventure with us. Go be the church. Have a wonderful week. Ha!